Hey, House of Carbs friends. I want to tell you a little bit about Spice Islands. Spice Islands has a craft approach when it comes to spices, and you can taste the difference in every bottle. They still sun dry many of their spices, and their chili peppers are hand destemmed. That means the stems are removed by hand. I had to look it up. Plus, they capture the volatile oil which gives flavor to each spice, whether it be Saigon cinnamon, dill weed, bay leaves, garlic powder, cumin, or turmeric, and they maintain a strict standard for each item to ensure consistency, quality, and flavor. Friends, visit spiceislands.com slash house for more spice facts and delicious recipes and pick up Spice Island spices in the premium spice section of your local retailers. All right, podcast pals, we've done it. We are back. Welcome to another House of Cards. Brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Joe House, your hungry host. This is the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people. We have a couple of very interesting discussions this week on barbecue. We do a little Texas barbecue. We do a little barbecue in Charleston, South Carolina. We do a little barbecue in New York City. And we have all Ringer Pals uh, on board, of course, Juliet comes on, and we're going to talk about some outstanding food news. Two stories out of England this week. Before we get to the show, uh, we're recording on a Monday. Two things have, have occurred in Texas as it relates to barbecue. Uh, well, only one of which relates to barbecue. There was a fire at Franklin's, the uh, unparalleled barbecue in, in Austin, it damaged the pit. Um, we're looking forward to their rapid recovery, and we will be sure to have a Franklin's um, person on to tell us uh, the Franklin story. Um, but but we can talk about Texas barbecue without noting that. But much more importantly, um, the event of, of the Harvey hurricane in Houston, Texas. Houston, uh, we have a lot of Ringer friends, a lot of Ringer family in the Houston area. And if we're going to be talking about Texas, Texas this week. We have to uh, make sure that that everybody, let's go to that American Red Cross. Get yourself to redcross.org. Great big button. Help people affected by Hurricane Harvey. We at House of Carbs are doing it. You should do it too. Let's donate now and get Houston back up on its feet. I can't wait to do an outstanding Houston-focused House of Carbs and uh, talk to our friend Shea Serrano and talk to a lot of folks uh, in that Houston area about how they got themselves stood back up. I can't wait for that story. First today, though, of course, we're going to talk to uh, our good friend David Shoemaker and Brian Curtis uh, about their experience around the country with barbecue. And then we're going to get to Danny Chow. Let's get in that belly. All right, podcast pals, as promised, we are incredibly lucky here at The Ringer to have some homegrown talent when it comes to matters of the belly. We are pleased to have with us today a couple of experts 
on a couple different varieties of barbecue, even though both of these gentlemen hail from Texas, have been friends since they were five years old or 10 years old or 15 years old. They've known each other nearly their entire lives. Editor-at-large at The Ringer, Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, the art director at The Ringer, and an incredible design on the House of Carbs logo. Hat it, David Shoemaker. Also hosts the wrestling podcast, The Mass Man Show. What up, fellas? What's going on, man? How are you? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Felt like I ate a huge meal after that intro. I almost fell asleep. How you doing? Look, I mean, it's, we have to, to rep for our people. This, you are, <laughs> these are my people. Now, Appreciate this, it. This today is going to be a tale of two cues, even though... Both of you guys, Texas gentlemen, and I know we're going to go way deep on the on Texas. We got a couple origin stories to run through, and then we're going to get to the most important important part, which is the eating of the barbecue. Um, but first, Brian, tell us a little bit about. Now you were raised in Texas, That's natural, right. nat- natural born and natural raised. The first twenty two years, yes, yeah, eating barbecue. Uh, slowly but surely. I didn't like it when I was a kid, which was kind of funny. Interesting. Kind of fatty for me. Okay. But then by high school, I was, I was fully in and David and I actually met in high school and, uh, you know, ate barbecue lady in the tramp style, you know, piece of brisket, (laughs) long (laughs) pieces of brisket between our mouths. Yeah. Oh my. No, just kidding. Uh, Uh, but by high school, I think, and I think I speak for David too. We were all the way in on barbecue. That was just kind of like the go-to. Absolutely. Food. I mean, that was this. So this is Fort Worth. So we yeah, had like, that's. I was just going to ask. So where where are you guys physically located at this we're time? We're in North Texas, a little bit away from the cradle of Texas barbecue, which is Central Texas. Yeah, but barbecue, a lot of people when people say that's a, that's a good point. People say Central when people say Texas barbecue, they're talking about about a hundred square miles, dead in the center of Texas. And there's like there actually are differentiations in like East Texas and West Texas, but. Central Texas is the kind of barbecue that matters. And we're talking about, is that Lockhart? Yeah. And w- anywhere else? Central Texas, Austin. Austin, Lockhart. Lockhart all okay. the little little old uh, German towns around there. Now, in your upbringing in Fort Worth, that's some number of miles removed from Central Texas, What do we have? Right? We had Railhead in Fort Worth? Yeah, there was barbecue on, you know, every other street corner. Yeah. Okay. Risky's. And- and, joints and is is it uh in in your upbringing and your raising and this uh mutual admiration that you had for the barbecue <laughs> in fort worth how, how that fort worth barbecue experience you have in in your adult years have, as you've grown up come to learn and experience what that central uh texas barbecue is all about is there common ground is it totally different i mean so, what, what's the deal i mean there's there's lots of variation central texas barbecue i mean that the the where like franklin's is now or like kreutz's market all this place like lockhart you were talking about or i mean that's always the mecca but it was much more of a low-key thing i would say back when we were when we were in high school and am i would, would you agree with that yes I think barbecue was something you ate a lot of. Yeah, it didn't Rather have to than be good. Appreciated to... like a fine uh, piece of brisket. Barbecue was kind of like the pizza buffet. It was something to just eat in giant mass quantities. And then when we got to college, something you drank while you were eating in giant oh, mass yeah. quantities. So, Brian went to University of Texas. I went to Baylor University, uh, and there was, I mean, there were, again barbecue places on the corner. But the the famous place in Waco back then was a place called Vtex Barbecue that was less famous for its brisket. Than for what it called what's called the gut pack, which oh! is a uh, a styrofoam container with Fritos, yes, brisket, yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, keep going. Uh, Fritos, I think it's sausage, <laughs> yes, and then chili and beans oh! and hot peppers and everything else. Just like it's just a just a bowl of crap, but it's you delicious. have to use a fork, right? 
or, or a giant yeah, spoon. Or a spatula. A yeah, spatula, it's, right. It's, a, it's pretty incredible. And th- this is important to note because I think we're in this era of gourmet barbecue. Now everybody knows about Franklin, all these Austin yes. places, real chefy. People can say bark and smoke ring and these parts of the barbecue. No, 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 no. 95% of barbecue in Texas or elsewhere is just totally disgusting. But it's great food, right? It's just yeah. great stuff to stuff your face with. Yeah. Well, and stuff your face with with your friends. At the at the very heart of it, it's it's meat cooked low and slow. Yeah. Right. And sometimes really badly low and slow, but it's, but it's meat, (laughs) but it's meat. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be good even when it's bad. Yeah. The big distinction, one of the big distinctions between Texas barbecue and the other regional barbecues is that Texas is all about cook time. I mean, the best Texas barbecue, all about cook time and technique. And they're not really big on sauces. There's not like the, the, as, as much of a, you know, we're proud of our vinegar sauce or our tomato sauce. It's, it's about making the meat just you know perfectly smoky and delicious well, let's, let's go off on that tangent for for a minute mr shoemaker you your own self had uh the the experience of growing up a little bit in north carolina as well you spent some time there as a youth and then you also visited uh, quite frequently so you had an or early orientation with the north carolina barbecue scene sure i mean when my like my dad's family's all in charlotte my mom's at the time was in in uh durham and later in clinton and so like we would we would drive back and forth for christmas break or summer vacation and uh and always stop at the the roadside places i don't even remember what the i mean there was like wilson's and smithfields there's a lot of great roadside barbecue uh in north carolina but the best memory that I had per barbecue was uh, when my mom's dad would take, or my mom's family would take us to pig pickings, oh. which is like, we're in like small town, North Carolina. Oh. Um, the men of this, the men of the town would stay up all night long cooking pigs over open spits that they would dig in the ground. And then the next day, like the women would show up with the sides and the desserts and put them in the barn. Um, and then you would just literally walk up to what, a page. What did David grow up in, yeah. by the way? <laughs> I, is, it is, I have it is so many questions. It sounds. And they all did a square dance. You would literally walk up to a pig on a spit and peel meat off. Like that's that's how it was done. Yes. Now is this a holiday or is this is this couldn't be every day? And no, it wasn't every day. In in I don't remember it being like a Fourth of July thing, but it might have been a holiday specific to the whatever town I was in. My my mom's dad was a preacher, so he would just get invited to sort of you know I mean he's next sitting you know standing next to the mayor up at the front of the thing or whatever. Oh, so when you say pig pickings, that's not the name of a of a particular place. That's not a restaurant. <laughs> no, name. it is the picking of a pig. Yeah, that's the that, that's think, the it's like a fish. Fry, yeah, in the way that you know that's exactly. something that, that in the Mid Atlantic, I I went to a couple fish fry, fish fries in my day. Again, had a little churchy churchy overtone to it. Yeah, um, and and is that is the churchy overtone an important Church, part? Churchy of- overtone is is inextricably linked to every communal gathering in in the South. Of I was course. just gonna say, what what <laughs> we could we could eliminate ninety percent of things with churchy overtones. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I don't have any problem with churchy no, overtones. No, no, so you no, get no, a lot of great food no, out of no, it that way. Wrong with that, yeah. yeah that's but yeah, right. in North Carolina, it was all especially the roadside stuff was just pulled pork. You know, and then and, you know, Texas is obviously more known for the brisket beef, uh, the, yeah, the beef brisket. And then, you know, years later, Brian and I were living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan when the barbecue started taking over New York City. And, it, it you know, there was a lot of regionalism at first. Uh, Hill Country was very much a was very much a Texas barbecue place. Yeah, they flew cordwood up from central Texas 
to use in New York City. Like that was the level of authenticity we're talking of Texas authenticity. There was Texas monthly magazines on the wall, right? It's almost like a Disneyland of oh, Texas sure. and who, within Manhattan. Who's, whose idea was this? Do we know whose idea? The proprietors behind the I can't Hill remember Country? the name. And, and, uh, we and, just ate there. And and what era? What what are we what time frame are we talking about? Like Mid aughts, late aughts? Yeah, that sounds about right. So we because that's kind of the moment. This is what I want to tackle with you guys. Two two uh, you know dudes who came up with it uh, as OGs, there, there is, f- to my experience, you know, barbecue in my, you know, adult life has be- has grown to be this sort of revered thing. Yes. It's this extraordinary, special thing. It's worth pilgrimages. You have to get yourself to Central Texas to experience it authentically. I was lucky enough to invite myself along with my good pal Bill Simmons to, <laughs> to an event in Texas. We got ourselves to Austin. We had barbecue at the fantastic La Barbecue. And, and it was a nearly religious experience. Sure. You know, it lived up to all of the billing um but that's different from how y'all were raised absolutely i mean it was like you could see this happening 2010 2009 somewhere in there where it's like every remember every bad food got then got its high highbrow moment it was like meatballs it was cheeseburgers everything was and so barbecue the, the hands of the clock were eventually going to go barbecue we're going to do this upright and then you have places like franklin's open in austin and guess what it was much better uh-huh. It was way better. It okay. was on a totally different level. I mean, I love it now. Everybody says Austin has such great barbecue. Not when I went to school there in the late 90s. It was gross inside the Austin city limits. Little towns outside Austin. <laughs> Little sure, towns outside, Austin yeah. was just like all you can eat, mostly disgusting barbecue. Now you go and it's like it's like Paris. You know, it's like restaurant after restaurant after Cook's Rest. It's unbelievable. I'm yeah. not going to date you. I won't make you say what era you were in Austin, Texas. But, you know, to my ears, hearing somebody uh, disrespect Austin and the Austin food scene in this way, I, I over, you know, my own awakening as an adult, as a food lover, have come to uh, idol, idolize, lionize uh, Austin and the food scene there. And you're, you're now. Now. Right. Now. Yes. But as David can attest, it, w- it was, you know, it was a nice there were lots of nice restaurants there, but nothing like yeah. barbecue that's falling apart in your hand and people coming from hundreds of thousands I mean, of miles away to wait in line. Although that's the other thing, waiting in line all day at Franklin, that experience never would have flown in the early The entire late premise 90s. of barbecue is that you don't wait in line. You wait You wait behind two people to get up to the front while they chop the meat and put it on your plate. <laughs> You're kind of pissed off while you do, yeah. Yeah, you wait in the cafeteria line to get your to get your potato salad or whatever, but yeah, waiting in line for barbecue. For I mean, it's hours. supposed to be the most for like hours. democratic form of food. Well, that's why pig pickets make so much sense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just walk up and take the pig pick it off the pig so so hill country opened in new york just to jump back to that and it looks like in 2007 i could and mark glosserman is the guy who brought it for his his uh go. it said his, he's related somehow to the to a former oh his grandfather was the mayor of lockhart texas oh that's oh, so he's got he's, he's got he's the connection he's yeah that's proper origins um but yeah i mean that was and by the time that barbecue like that was getting to new york obviously blue smoke predated that by a few years so danny meyer a danny meyer joint um, but, but Hill Country was the first real Texas barbecue in New York. And it was, it was a game changer when we were living there. And then it really, and then we see it really blossom. It's brisket town. It's mighty Quinn's. So New York has this just like barbecue renaissance. And there was a moment I thought where your average New York barbecue experience was about as good as your average Texas experience. Now there's probably enough places in Austin. That's no longer true, but sure. people would come to New York and they say, Oh, well, barbecue is better back home. And I said, no, not really. Actually, it's probably better place to place up here. Cause the, the cooks are better and the restaurants are better. Well, you still have to get the wood though. Isn't the wood still the crucial thing? Yeah, I don't know how many the of those wo- people were actually flying it up all the way. From- it's a good question. I mean, at the beginning, Hill Country got the wood from Texas, got the sausage. I mean, they, they didn't even make the sausage in house. They were overnighting those from Lockhart's or whatever. And they 
But then, yeah, it, it's if it's not the wood, it's definitely the lineage. We were talking about this before before we came on the air. The lineage of the cooks, like you, if you work in the if you work in the smokehouse uh, down in down in Texas somewhere, then you will you will be employed for the rest of your life. So, like every new place that opens in New York, they either bring somebody up from Texas or steal somebody from another restaurant who's got that lineage because it's a uh, it's an art taken very seriously right now. Well, isn't the thing I, I've uh, come to understand about New York that's particularly unique to New York, uh, the New York barbecue experience? There's a lot of um, micro purveyors is the way I'm going to say it. Folks who have their own slant on one particular type of um, barbecue strategy, one particular type of meat. Is that is that uh, resonate with your experience or no? You're talking about right now or yeah, historically? Yeah, right now. Right now. This, this, like what, what, has, what happened after Hill Country kind of arrived and, and awakened New York City. You know, Danny Meyer gets credit for bringing Bruce Blue Smoke up and introducing sure. the barbecue concept. But Hill Country took it, you know, in, in the Texas direction. I feel that's true, though. I feel brisket is still the big thing like how well you make brisket is kind it's of how, how it's, you're judged. Beef, beef, beef brisket and pulled pork or you know there are the two things and there's and you know it, it's kind of hard to open a barbecue restaurant after 2010 definitely and not serve both of those things and take them both really seriously it's partly you know, there's certain expectations that come with you know people don't I feel like consumers don't care about the regional differences as much, at least like the average consumer. So that's a nice segue because, you know, we're talking to Danny Chow about this kind of moment we are experiencing right now in barbecue where gourmet barbecue. Yeah. But it's and the the sort of regional distinctions and the sort of natural competition um, where there there might have been uh, in, in the past this idea that there was. Not animosity, but like a, a really you know strong sure. uh, uh, competitive element. Now that it's it's kind of a love fest. It's okay. it's true. I mean, and, and you actually saw the beginnings of that when the restaurant when restaurants like Hill Country. I don't even know if Hill Country. I don't think Hill Country specifically falls into this category. But barbecue restaurants, sort of a bigger box barbecue places, would open up in New York, and instead of having the house sauce, there'd be a little cart that they'd bring over, and it's like this is the Kansas City sauce, this is the North Carolina sauce, this is the Texas sauce. And like lot from everything we knew, that didn't make any sense at all, right? right? There, right. Was, there were these like there were these dark lines drawn in between, but at some point it became more it became more about catering to everybody's like varied concepts of barbecue than about like really cooking towards you know in in the family tradition or whatever. I that's right. So uh, in, in New York, we we know that there's plenty of Texas options. Are there Carolina options? Yeah, you know, the, I don't. E- I can't even think of any off the top of my head. Like I said, mo- most of the places we went would have like Carolina style pulled pork I sitting see. right next to Texas style brisket on the menu. It reminds me not to invoke another city, but Kansas City barbecue. You know, when you go, there are ribs, and yes. there's also brisket, and there's also pulled pork, and there's also a little of everything. New York places are kind of like that. Oh sure, you'll see like every meat kind of represented. Okay, there. yeah. The only body, that, I mean, like the ribs are ribs are different place to place, but I mean, obviously, you can't just like cake on the sauce like in Nashville. My favorite, you know. by the way, is that the rarest is that giant brana size beef rib that you get everywhere a texas thing where you just pull apart i only want that in texas i mean when we were we enjoyed the la barbecue in austin i made a point of of enjoying i had the bone when it was done and i made a point of getting a picture of that now we're gonna uh we can't we're gonna wrap this up but i need we need to talk about eating barbecue and you two guys live now in los angeles california we do. yeah which is not very well known for its barbecue scene what the hell do you do um, you know, it's, I, I think about when I moved to New York, which is now 15 years ago or something like that, the thing I missed most then was, was Mexican food. But when I said Mexican food, I was saying, I was thinking Tex-Mex, right? So you, there, now there are some Tex-Mex, pla- Tex-Mex places in New York that are well worth visiting. At the time there was like 
little like shack taco shops and there was gourmet Mexican food, you know, like fancy, fancy food. And you would kind of have to just like find the things that like hit your taste buds in the right way that reminded you of the thing you had back home. Yeah. I mean, you could spend, you know, a week looking for queso in New York and never find it. Now you can get queso in a lot of places. Right. But back then, anyway. So for me, the barbecue in L.A. is, is a similar thing. Like there's some places in Koreatown that I go to hit a certain oh. like, the, you know, it, tingle, it hit like that, it. that tingly part of my taste buds. Yeah. And there's some fusion places. Um, there's a place called Parks Barbecue not far from me. Not Parks, the Korean place, but just it's like a. Uh, like a just a barbecue place that I love, um, and there's but there's some places popping up that are part of this new wave, right, Mr. Yeah, Curtis? I would I would say Bloodsos and and Gus's up in Pasadena. I've been yeah. to a few times. But again, how's it comes back to the thing? Meat drenched in sauce with some white bread next to it. Yeah, how complicated does this have yeah. to be? And to but just low check, and slow. To check the box, right? You know, low they, and slow. They know absolutely. to low and slow it, right? Not not faking it. Okay, but as good. long it's, as you've gone through the process, you know, I'm I'm happy. Okay, I'm a happy boy. Right. As long as it, you it. go through all that, pro- it just as it's icing on the cake, but do not bring me any coleslaw that isn't white. Like this, the fan people try to fancy it up. He's drawing a line with this like, vi- like pink vinegar seeds. coleslaw. Okay poppy seeds. If you're throwing them in at the last second, that's fine. But seriously, coleslaw should be just like managed cream based. That's it. That's, that's it. it. Well, I, lo- I love it. Thank you fellas so much. It was wonderful having you on house. Oh, cars. we're going to, this is an ongoing conversation. Obviously we don't just have one episode about barbecue and, and, and call it a day. So you're going, both going to come back and we'll keep we this gotta ongoing. we got to go eat some barbecue. We're going to eat some barbecue. That's it. That's Let's, the important part. Maybe we should do that now. Okay. All right. Thanks, so boys. Hungry. All right. Big thanks to Shoemaker and Curtis. Outstanding discussion. We're going to get some food news with Juliet in just a moment. But first, this word from our good pals at Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Finding great talent can be tough. Thankfully, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else, and that is why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, House of Carbs listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, F-R-E-E, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-A-R-B-S. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. All right, podcast pals, as always, on right now, the managing editor, at the Ringer, host of the Bachelor Party and Jam Session podcast, Miss Food News herself, Juliet Littman. <laughs> Hello, Juliet. Hi, House. Can I get that on a sash, Miss Food News USA? Well, look, I have a couple things, a couple intro pieces. I know we're going to uh, jam through these stories pretty quickly because we all have all this. We're surrounded by barbecue talk today, 
Juliet. We have uh, Danny Chow talking barbecue. We have our pal Shoemaker and Brian Curtis talking oh, cool. barbecue. So we're going to try and squeeze in a little bit of non-meat, although a couple of these stories have some meat in them. But I have very two very important topics for you first. Okay. Um, I'm not in the habit, I hope, of constantly getting on here and apologizing to you, but I am going to get on here and apologize to you Uh-oh. because... You missed out. I'm not sure if, if anybody at the Ringer told you this is this will be a good sign as to how um how good your friends are at the Ringer there in in, in L A. Um, did anybody tell you about the Jenny's ice cream that arrived in the office? No. What? Yeah. Right. So Jenny's, <gasps> from, Jenny's. from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Of course, it's outstanding. They reached out after they heard our chat about the Game of Thrones flavors, oh, which, sh- by the way, we have to revisit that, especially yeah. in view of what the the, uh, the javelin thrower. I mean, yes, there's, there's the got to be a flavor for that guy. Yeah, the Night King. Exactly. Um, they heard that discussion and were like, hey, try some of these flavors and see if they inspire you. And they sent some to me and they sent some to the Ringer offices. But it happened on the week that you were on vacation. Oh, my God. No one told me A and B. That's amazing. Thank you, Jenny's. Exactly. So, look, I, I still have a couple of my flavors left. If I, I, mean, I don't it's probably not efficient for me to put them in a box and send no. it to you. But I mean, I could like take a picture and show you. What I got. Oh, my goodness. What do they that's, send? I'm that's very, probably not helpful either. I'm very familiar with their roster of flavors. So like, what do they send? Um, one of the So far, I've gone for the, like, ultra decadent. Um, there's a cream puff flavor mm. right now. I'm mm. not sure if I'm getting the name exactly right. And then there's one that's, like, um, uh, uh, butter cake yeah. flavor with actual chunks of cake in it. Oof, that sounds really good. I'm really jealous. Those uh, are the two that I've gone for. I will say I'm not really a sorbet girl. I don't dislike it, but like, why? Why not have ice cream? You know. But they yeah, have a pear right. riesling sorbet that is outstanding. Oh. It's so good. Oh, it, it's amazing. And you, yeah, I just I can't recommend it enough. So seek it out if you can. Okay. Yeah. That's on my list. Yeah. Well, that's so shout out to Jenny's. I wanted to make sure we got that Thanks, in Jenny's. and we'll have to run it back. Love yeah, you, you're going to you were going to get we're going to get you some. <laughs> the other thing, speaking of incredible um, generosity from friends and family, we have, as you know, on this uh, House of Carbs broadcast, we do this belly sourcing and we've been getting incredible suggestions by way of our email. Yeah. House of Carbs fans at Gmail dot com. One of the very, very great suggestions that came across was we need a jingle for food news. Mm. And and I think you need to be the one that decides what it is. And I'm not going to put you on the spot. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to come up with a jingle off the top of your head. But what I do want to know is, have you ever thought about what your walk up music would be as you came to bat? If you were a baseball wow. player coming to bat, what would... What would the Littman walk-up music be? Wow, that's a really that's a really great question. Um, I don't know. That's really hard. And oh, all, I put all, you on the spot. I'm sorry. At all times where I'm put on the spot regarding music, my mind immediately defaults to like, what Mariah Carey song should I choose? And <laughs> <laughs> that's not really the vibe of walk-up music, but it is Probably just kind not. of my default vibe. Like yesterday, I listened to the Butterfly album, in case you were wondering, from like 1994. Oh, <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Why yeah, wouldn't you? Why well, wouldn't I, you? The reason I asked, you know, about the walk up, because I wondered if that might provide some inspiration for the food jingle. But it doesn't. I don't think Mariah Carey is probably going to be no. the right jingle. I think for, for our, food food, our food jingle, we need to think about some of the best theme songs of all time and some of the best like just commercial jingles of all time. Like, I mean, yeah, 
there I love I, I love theme songs and I wish that they were still part of TV. Like they're absolutely not anymore. And they should be. They're like they're a great well, they're a great piece of branding. Well, there's nothing to keep us from having theme songs. I mean, we could have, you know, uh, uh, food news theme song. We there's, there's there's the possibilities are endless. My personal um, TV theme song that I that I relate to the most, obviously, is from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Duh. I mean, but there's so many yeah. great ones out there. When I was in college, my ringtone when my when my mom called me was the Cheers theme song. Oh, so good. Thank you. How about yeah. that one? Yeah, I love theme songs. I, I could go on for hours. Um, I'm gonna think about it and I'll report back. Yeah, think about it. There we go. That's what we're after. Okay. So we have a few stories this week. We do. There's one that I'm really excited about. I'm excited about all of them. But um, the Amazon purchase of Whole Foods officially went through for like billions of dollars. And so now I look forward to the president of the United States tweeting about Amazon Whole Foods along with Amazon Washington Post. And another thing I look forward to is the changes are immediate. And as of Monday, today, Amazon... Uh, is instituting lower prices at Whole Foods for their like staple items. And so the things that are included in staple items are um, whole trade bananas, organic avocados, organic large brown eggs, organic responsibly farmed salmon and tilapia, organic baby kale and baby lettuce, animal welfare rated 85% lean ground beef. That's just in time for your uh, Labor Day barbecue or grill out, depending on where you are in the country. Creamy and crunchy almond butter, Organic Gala and Fuji apples, organic rotisserie chicken, and 365 everyday value organic butter, and much, much more. Um, these are all like really good staples. And these are all things that I'd be like, oh, okay, if they're gonna be cheaper, I'll go to Whole Foods and buy these. So here's the thing. This is what I'm I'm concerned about. And I don't Uh-oh. mean this as a way to offend anybody. It's okay. gonna come off like I'm intending offense, but I'm re- I'm really not. That grocery list should just be called white privilege. <laughs> I mean, that is the most <laughs> Precious grocery list I possibly ever heard. And I don't mean it does not that white privilege that it's a color thing. It's a race thing. It's just like the most precious grocery list I've ever heard. So um, when you said, I don't mean to offend anybody, you meant to say, Julia, I don't mean to offend you because I did just say I'm excited about all these products. (laughs) Well, how about this? I buy many of those products from Whole Foods at the current price that the current gouge that they offer it. Um, and so, I'm very excited for my own self to be able to get get them at at, at cheaper prices. But you have to admit, yeah, I mean, when you ridiculous. go through that list, it, it's it, a little ridiculous. Yeah. Here are my two here are my two counterpoints. One, this is like a real Michelle Obama approved list when she spent her eight years in office, like trying to get everyone to have healthier food, and she'd be happy with this. A. So shout out to her. I always want to do what I think Michelle Obama would do. And for sure. Um, number two. I don't like Whole Foods. I love grocery stores. I like food shopping. I do not like Whole Foods because they just don't really they don't they don't make the staples easy for you. And so I'm I'm excited no. about this because I actually think it will like enhance the average person's shopping experience. And um, it's not just about I mean, obviously, the lower prices are like a huge deal. But I, I just think that like they, they don't make it easy to just just get like um, just like the regular stuff you need, like. I don't yeah. know. Eggs and butter and yeah. bread and stuff, you know, people yeah. that food it was like, that people eat. It started out as like a much more bespoke market. And basically everything that Whole Foods has done, I think, over the last five years, like introducing the 365 brand has made it move closer to Trader Joe's, which is like still quirky and weird, but is like kind of like the people store because it's so cheap. Right. Uh, and right. So, and yes. so I'm happy I'm about you. this. I don't know. There's I'm so- happy about it, too. And let let me be clear. I, I am a Whole Foods shopper. 
they they have the very best offering. We've talked about this, how my kid has food allergies. Yes. Um, you know, they have the very best kind of vegan-based options that that allow us to, you know, to deliver to the little man, you know, the the non-cheese versions of mac and cheese and the non-cheese versions of pizza and all the rest of it. So we're at Whole Foods. We're regular consumers of, of Whole Foods. All right, so um, we, we support Whole Foods, what you're saying. We do. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say notwithstanding it, that list, notwithstanding that list and also like notwithstanding some of the like bad labor practices of Amazon. But we don't need to get too political. Um, Word. <laughs> moving on across the pond to the country of, of England. Actually, not a country. It's the United Kingdom. Anyway. Um, yeah. So this is we were in France last week. Yeah. Now we're in England. Yeah, exactly. We're international podcast. Um, For real. <laughs> So there was a barn fire somewhere in like rural England in Wiltshire, England, to be to be exact. Wiltshire. Wiltshire. No doubt. And yeah, maybe we'll visit one day. Um, And there was this fire and 18 baby pigs and two sows were rescued when a fire broke out in February at a privately owned farm. It ripped through more than 130,000 pounds of hay. It was a really big. That's a lot. It's a, yeah, that's a big fire. So these firefighters it's a big were, fire. were heroic and saved the animals. And the owner of the farm was a woman, the manager, excuse me, was a woman named Rachel Rivers. Um, And to thank the firefighters, they offered them a huge package of uh, bangers, a.k.a. sausage here in America, that were made from the pork of the pigs that they saved. So they saved the pigs so that they could later eat the pigs, basically. Uh, What are your thoughts? Well, uh... So uh, we're we're really touching on some some uh, hot button items here. Hot topics. And I'm sure that the, that we could get people um, mad at us here on House of Carbs. It it appears to me that the purpose of of the livestock that this woman was raising on her farm was was for food. Yes. And so what she did to thank the firefighters um, who saved these the 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 pigs from a premature expiration was when they were ready for slaughter. She set a, a handful of, of the pro product aside and expressed her, her, her appreciation to the firefighters. I'm, I'm kind of cool with it. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's the right gesture. Um, it comes from a sincere place. The pigs were going to be slaughtered anyway. Yeah. It, they were, it wasn't, it wasn't like a farm where the animals were, you know, up for, um, to be viewed, there she was raising this livestock for food. Yeah, so it's like it's the like pigs a, turned into food. Yeah, exactly. This was their destiny. It's it's sad, but um, we are meat eaters here on this podcast. So that's it. That's right. We we it, it's pretty well documented that we <laughs> yeah. like the meat. I mean, this one in particular this is a barbecue episode. So <laughs> barbecue is about eating meat. I don't mean to make light of it, but uh, you know, I support it as well. It, it came from came from yeah, a sincere this is, place. This is an on-point barbecue story. This yeah. is barbecue for the forces of good, like most barbecue is. Totally. Um, I just read a biography of George Orwell, and there was a lot of discussion about Animal Farm, and so I, I'm just thinking about these pigs as like an, animated, hu- like uh, you know, human slash pigs or whatever turned into sausage. Um, okay, one more for you. House. Well, if you oh. well, uh, hold on, let's let's finish that thought. If you yeah. ask them, don't you think that they would like to convey their appreciation to the? 
you know, we know we're going to be food eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's show our appreciation to these guys. We, we were able to live our fullest lives. If my destiny is to be food, I'd want the person who made my destiny happen to eat me. Yeah. We're, we're in lockstep. I'm sure we're going to get some bad People are going to be so that, pissed but. at us. But you want to know what? Are you pissed at us every time we talk about meat? Or like, you know, should we be mad at Whole Foods Word. for their sustainably farmed tilapia and salmon as well? It's a lot of loaded stuff in there. Yeah. Wow. We really are. We're in, we're in deep water today. Let's go back to England. Back to England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I just need to set. This is really celebratory. I, um, okay. Let me just give you the facts. I'm, I'm just like so honored to be alive for this. There was a woman in England who was going to take in the races at Southwell Racecourse in Nottinghamshire, England. And um, I went to the Kentucky Derby once. And I was really impressed at the ways people smuggled in alcohol. The most impressive way I saw was people, this, this, this like bachelor party. I was in the infield, of course, and they were right next to me. And at this bachelor party had a, a, a can of Pringles, the delicious chips. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I can have a chip. And they open the Pringle uh, canister, can, whatever. And they pull out all of these um, Ziploc bags that had been filled with, with alcohol, with liquor. So they didn't have to buy it inside. <laughs> and they had like brought their mixtures with them. And it was just like really impressive. And I was just like, wow, these people are true innovators. However, I now need to reset the bar for what is alcohol smuggling at a horse race innovation. Because this woman in England, she um, had a small bottle, like it's like an eighth, a small bottle of vodka, Glenn's vodka, which I've never heard of. I'm sure it's delicious. And she um, mm. very... Very lightly, better than Tito's. Better than Tito's. She very lightly put like a couple of pieces of salami around it and then a couple of slices of tomato and then put it between two pieces of bread, like a baguette kind of thing, and um, tried to bring smuggle her vodka as like the contents of this sandwich. However, when she was entering the facility, the security noticed that the sandwich was quite heavy and... Um, was able to deduce that there was vodka inside of it. Uh, normally, security would have taken it away. However, they were also just floored by her innovation that they let her uh, pick it up after the race so she could keep her vodka and wouldn't have to like lose all of her money. I don't think she took it back, but she had the option to. So the moral of the story is um, everyone is everyone is impressed by g- genius ways to smuggle in alcohol to a, a horse race. Well, to, to really all sporting events, I mean, I'm sure... You in your college days, did you, did your, where did you go? I went to Northwestern University. Oh, so big enough to, to you, there were big football games. There were big yeah. basketball games. Yes. You were definitely. There, were not, there weren't big basketball uh, games. That's nice of you to say, but there were not the, when I was there. But there, <laughs> there Well, were, teams came. Michigan yes. came and played there. Ohio State came and played there. Yeah, absolutely. Ohio State was good. Michigan State was good too. But um, yeah, the fo- football was like, we were like, oh, the Ohio State fans are here. Like, oh, the Michigan fans are here. Like, we need to seem like we know what we're doing. Let's try to like also tailgate. Yeah, tailgate and then smuggle stuff in. So yeah. the uh, ingenuity uh, and innovation for smuggling alcohol into stadiums. I mean, it feels like it's an American staple. I mean, I, it's been going on for, for 60 years, yeah. m- maybe longer. Um, God bless this woman in England where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, I would be interested in, in 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 some. I don't know what kind of sourcing this is. It's not belly sourcing, is it? Uh, it's drunk sourcing. Some of the stories that the House of Carbs fans uh, have for us about how they've gotten alcohol in. My old trick was uh, Ziploc bags with the alcohol. Um, in you know a Ziploc bag inside a Ziploc bag, mm. and then um, attached to a belt 
and then you would wear wear those Ziploc bags inside your pants. Oh, smart! Very you could, smart. You could have you could have affixed the the alcohol around the belt ring um, to the to your jeans and get in there. So the pat down, they would just sort of pat you uh, on 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 your uh, around your waistline, and they wouldn't get all the way down to like true gene level because that's a little bit invasive. Yeah. And I, you know, you Hopefully. could, so you could get some things done that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I was not as ingenious, but also often tried. I would love to hear about people's stories. It's a great point. And the Kentucky Derby was like really a sight to behold when, when I saw people bringing stuff in. I was like, wow, they've been here before. Yeah. I was about to express surprise. There's plenty of alcohol at the Kentucky Derby. I know, but it's really <laughs> but expensive. Point, it's really expensive. It's expensive. Right. That's it's right. like, Twelve dollars. This is like twelve dollars for one drink, and you go for like eight hours. So you can't you can't just buy what they have there. No. Well, look, we've we've done it. Uh, we we have our own homework assignment. We're going to think of jingles for food news, and we've given the people, the hungry and thirsty people, a homework assignment. Let's hear some of your 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 alcohol smuggling stories, pals. Indeed. Thanks for having me, House. Thanks, Juliet. Talk to you in a week. Talk to you soon. All right. All right, my friends, another great food news. We are about to sit down and talk with our good pal, Danny Chow, uh, about his unbelievable experience in Charleston, South Carolina. I think he tried to eat all the barbecue in the state. But before we get there, quick word from our friends at Lisa Mattress. What if, podcast pals, you could give back while you slept? Lisa is an innovative direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. Driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, for every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. Best of all, Lisa's patented universal adaptive feel is designed for all types of sleepers and it features three premium foam layers, including a two inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability, two inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief and six-inch dense core support foam for durability and structure for sleepers of all sizes. Available online in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Germany, or at the Lisa Dream Gallery in New York City, this is a 100% American-made mattress that ships compressed in a box to your door so you can save a trip to the store. Try a Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free with free shipping always and get $100 off. Wow, that's a great deal. $100 off when you go to leesa.com slash carbs. That's leesa.com slash C-A-R-B-S, leesa.com slash carbs. All right, my podcast people, you know this next gentleman. He is a regular on House of Carbs, which is to say, uh, this is his second appearance, but you know, we've only been up for a handful of episodes. So, um, but he is the in house resident food expert, associate editor at The Ringer, and I love reading his NBA stuff. Danny Chow, what is happening, my man? Everything is happening. I, I love that we're doing this in person. Um, yeah. How you, good is this? This is great. Like, I have a reflex where I just drink a lot of water 
whenever I know that I'm going to be contacting you just to open up my stomach. Yeah, you right. never know what's going to happen. You have that ref- that's it's it's now it's not Pavlovian <laughs> quite, but right you you start building out the room because we're you know there's some big meals potentially in our future. Uh, so Danny, you recently were in South Carolina. Yes, and uh, yeah. So, so you have a story up on the site about your your visit to Charleston, South Carolina, and you went there for a specific purpose. I went there for a specific purpose. I went there for barbecue. Barbecue. Yeah, which even five years ago would not have been a thing to do in Charleston. Um, It's just not... It, w- it hasn't been historically considered a barbecue town. Yeah, so let's let's do a very quick aside on Charleston as right. a food city. It has reached uh, this acclaim. It is now regularly and routinely regarded as a top five food city in these United States of America, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, and I, I would consider it, from what I've read and from what I've experienced, to be, you know, if not the capital, food capital of the South, definitely one of the top two. So let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. How did that come to be and, and, and why? I think it just has a very, very deep-rooted tradition in cuisine. I mean, this, this city is almost 350 years old. It's, I think it's at 347 right now. So the history goes far beyond, you know, even the advent of, of America. And so there's a lot of cultural mingling. There, there's a lot right. of, um, I, I think the basis of a lot of Southern cuisine comes from a particular group of, you know, African slaves who had come over and they had created their own culture. Um, the Gullah Geechee um, people have kind of brought in, brought in a lot of, you know, foundational ingredients, very foundational ideas about how to cook. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of melded in with the kind of low country, rice plantation farmers, um, and it kind of created this very, you know, distinct idea of what Southern cuisine is. So this is uh, interesting. I've been to Charleston, Mm -hmm. and I've eaten there, but I haven't done kind of a full food tour there. And uh, this was probably 10 years ago, so I don't think I was there um, coincident with, you know, the real ascendance of the city and the rise of a whole variety of restaurants and, and um, chefs, you know, who are inspired by the, the cultural cross-mingling that you're describing. Right. My own experience was, you know, exquisite, low country, Cajun Creole, you know, that, that kind of um, vibe informing the food, you know, with a very um, particular kind of, of um, Southern classic cuisine. That's, that's the way that I experienced Charleston, but that... That um, idea still seems to inform and pervade across the restaurant scene there, but it's much, much broader than that, yeah. much more diverse now. Is that right? I, I think so. From, from what you know, I've, I've experienced there, definitely. I think there's just a lot of pride in you know, the, the local you know, produce and the local customs that, that have kind of generated for you know, centuries now. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it kind of blew up with Sean Brock opening Husk. Right. Um, I believe that was about 10 years ago. Um, he's kind of r- risen into this, you know, mega star chef. And I actually talked to him in my, in my barbecue piece. Um, but he is a guy who would, you know, be the first to tell you, 
I'm I'm out here eating at places like Hannibal's or Nana's, you know, places in in black neighborhoods that serve that Gullah Geechee type of cuisine. Um, he's a huge advocate of crab rice, which is something that I had at uh, at Hannibal's. Oh my! And it's it's a dish that he actually adapted at Husk, um, and it's just crab meat with onions and bell peppers griddled until the the crab actually gets almost crispy mm. and then it's served on a bed of of carolina rice and it's just it's it, it's actually kind of an acquired taste if it, there are times when it can get a little fishy uh-huh. but if you're okay with that it's got a it's got a very nice like earthy sweetness to it wow kind of a little bit of that a little bit more of the oceanic vibe as well yeah um i'm okay with that yeah i'm same. okay with that. absolutely i know well let's talk about the barbecue mm-hmm. because as you uh mentioned at the outset here not traditionally Charleston, not traditionally known as a as a barbecue town. It doesn't have a, a deep barbecue right. history. And South Carolina barbecue in and of itself, you know, is slightly distinct from North Carolina barbecue, but they're not, you know, um, worlds worlds apart. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about the ascendance of Charleston as a barbecue town. So with Charleston, what's been told to me from yes. a very high barbecue scholar named Robert F. Moss, who actually wrote a book about the history of barbecue uh, and is a Charleston uh, resident right now and has lived in South Carolina all his life. Barbecue kind of in Charleston has gone through two distinct waves. So the first wave happened in and around the beginning of the Cold War at the end of World War II. You know, there were a lot, there was a big population boom around the naval base. And so a lot of rural people started moving down from, from the northern side of of uh, South Carolina down into Charleston for for jobs and work, and they brought with them the traditions of a very specific style of South Carolina barbecue, which is the Midland style mustard based sauce. Right, right, You're right. And as we're, when we're talking about style, it's just the sauce that right. that distinguishes South Carolina from North Carolina because it's still pretty heavy pork based. Right. So both both North and South Carolina are primarily operating with whole hog. Right. That is their style. Oh, yeah. And so actually what's interesting about North and South is that both of them have this kind of distinct split between mustard and vinegar-based sauce. Right. And so for the longest time, Charleston was dominated by mustard-based sauce Uh up until about five years ago when, you know, chefs started coming in being like, we can do a spin on barbecue. We can start incorporating, you know, a bunch of other influences a bunch of other region regional profiles into our food and it kind of came to a head uh in 2014 when there, there was a nonprofit organization known as the Charleston Brownwater Society okay from what it sounds like they are very big on bourbon and and they uh created this this invitational uh called the South Carolina Texas Barbecue Invitational where they brought Rodney Scott who is one of the best Ooh. The legendary pitmasters in the world, yeah, and John Lewis and Scott Rodney Scott's based in in um, South Carolina, yes, right, yes, yeah. born and raised, yeah. Um, and so they brought him, who is the master of whole hog barbecue, and yeah. they brought a Texan, yeah, John Lewis, John Lewis of of Franklin fame, right? Yeah, he he came from Franklin, and then he became the head pitmaster of Law Barbecue, which you are familiar. Oh, with. Oh yes, I am. Yes, I uh, know John well. I, yeah, I've actually, uh, I talked to him and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Bill brought a bunch of his, his Kimmel friends and they just kind of We all got on- sweaty. It was mm-hmm. 95 degrees in Austin, Texas, and we, we ate great big giant beef ribs. Yep. 
God damn it, were they good. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, so at this Invitational, there was the whole hog cooked by Rodney Scott, and then there was, you know, the brisket, the beef ribs, which, to be honest, most, most Charlestonians had never seen, you know, a Flintstone-sized beef rib being served this way. And from what Robert F. Moss told me, you know, all, all the, the biases you would imagine, oh, you know, this is pork country, you know, we don't do beef here. They ate every single scrap. Like, and that's when John Lewis realized, you know, I should move out here. I should, I should make this my corner. Oh. So is he, I know that, that now fast forward to 2016, he has, and, 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 uh, you know, which is last year, he has a brick and mortar mm-hmm. establishment in, in Charleston. Is he full-time in Charleston? He's full-time in Charleston now. Oh. And so this is kind of the, the great thing about Charleston barbecue right now is that Lewis barbecue opened last year. Um, and they kind of, it, it was kind of like announced fairly at the same time that he was going to open his spot and Rodney Scott was going to open his. And it turns out they're half a mile away from each other. Whoa. So that's kind of the beauty of Charleston barbecue right now in the downtown area is that you have two of the best pit masters in America within walking distance of one another. And they do completely different styles of barbecue. And it's just like a, a celebration of, of the form. And in your experience, you went down there, you visited with these guys, you talked Talk to, to them. them. Yep. How, how, what are they saying about kind of that Charleston food market? Is there enough of an appetite there's, for, for, for barbecue in Charleston to, to keep everybody busy? There's a huge appetite for it. Yeah. Um, there's actually a third barbecue spot there called Home Team Barbecue. And uh, that's actually like pretty much next door neighbors to Lewis Barbecue. And so all three places are packed. All three places, you know, do great business. It's just people can't get enough of it. And the thing is, all three of them are so distinct in their specialties. I would say you go to Ronnie Scott for the, for the pork, obviously. The, their ribs are actually their best seller there. Pork ribs? Pork ribs. Uh-huh. And then you go to you go to Lewis Barbecue for the whole Texas oh, Texas experience. Oh, daddy, do you? And then at Home Team, where they've kind of carved their their niche here is that it's kind of chef inspired, and their I think their top seller there is a smoked chicken wing that is smoked, chilled, and then deep fried, and then served with a, an Alabama style mayo sauce. So we're talking about elevated chicken wing. That's yes. what we're going after with yes. this one, right? Now, wait, can you order? Is do you? How do you order this? Because now, now you got my full attention. We were right. talking about chicken wings at a barbecue right. place. Um, you order a whole thing of wings. Can I get a dozen of those? Yeah. Oh, okay. It just comes in. I, I believe it's a dozen, actually. Oh, well, then um, I'll, I'll take two. Yeah. And then we, let's describe the sauce a little bit more. Right. So it's it's kind of a creamy, not not so thick. It, it's not quite. The consistency of of a blue cheese, it's it's closer to a ranch. I, I most blue cheese uh, sauces that I've had with wings are a little bit are a little bit thicker. Uh-huh. Um, but it kind of is a play on that kind All of right. the play on the white creamy sauce to go with the wings because it's that's an American classic. Yes, and yet it's it's a twist on it. Okay, so unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in kind of the the dynamic uh, with the kind of ascension of Charleston as a food destination unto itself, and then this kind of this wing of of barbecue specialists. Did you uh, have a chance to talk to any locals? 
and get a feel for how they felt about, you know, these interlopers coming from all, all over these United States of America to set up shop in Charleston and, and you know, um, foster the food scene in the way that these, these chefs from other walks of life in America um, who, who, who are drawn to Charleston by, as much as anything, you said it earlier in the show, the incredible ingredients and the incredible array of fresh food mm-hmm. that you can get and, and you know, the interest that, that Charleston um, has right now in the food scene. How, how do the locals feel about, you know, this, this, the ascension? So I talked to Hannah Raskin, who is one of the food critics at, in Charleston at the Post and Courier, um, and she had this interesting note for me. I, I had a very similar question about, like, you know, what does this mean? Why is barbecue suddenly ascendant right now? And mm-hmm. could, you know, John Lewis, who is from Texas, thrive in South Carolina, which is pig country? And she, she was like, the thing you have to know about Charleston is they want to be the best at everything. In fact, they already assume that they're the best at everything. So huh. if you're getting the best pitmaster in Texas... Of course he belongs in Charleston because it's not about violating a tradition of pork-based barbecue or whatever because, you know, Charleston didn't really have that tradition to begin with. But the tradition that they do adhere to is the fact that they want to be the best. And so to be the best, you kind of have to have the best of both worlds. You kind of have to have everything um, there for you in the city. So so accommodative, if, you, if, you have, if you're coming in the door with some credentials— you have that stamp of approval. Come on in. We have room for you. We Absolutely. welcome you. That's the idea. Absolutely. And I, I've asked, um, you know, locals, and I've talked to bartenders around, and there, are, there are no problems with. In fact, a lot of them consider Lewis Barbecue to be to be the best barbecue in the city. So, well, in a way, it, it kind of makes sense because Sean Brock's not a native um, Charlestonian, right? Right. He's, uh, uh, but he he had the. Um, you know, he, he gets a, a type of credit. It's not that, that um, anybody needs credit, but Husk kind of uh, re-welcomed everybody to the idea that Charleston was, a, you know, an incredible food right. city. It's always been, I think, mm-hmm. you know, a tradition that goes back food-wise 350 years, as you mentioned. But Husk really reminded everybody that Charleston, you know, is a place deserving. Right. And, and he, had, he has a great relationship with Rodney Scott. Um, they've, they've cooked together plenty of times. They've actually been on, on the mind of a chef, which I actually referenced on my first House of Carbs appearance. Uh, they actually cooked a whole hog together, uh, to serve at a party. So they're, they're very good friends. Oh, let's, let's be sure to link to that one. Oh, yeah. Or at least remind everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's one to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, that, okay. Mental note. Yeah, I they, got that one. They actually cooked together in 2011 in, uh, New York on the hottest day of the year. I think the heat index was like 115 degrees and they were standing out there with no shade Yeah, and they were just, they were cooking for 24 hours straight because that's, that's how That's barbecue much, style right that, there. That's, that's low and slow, my friend. That's how you have to do it. That's how you have to do it. And all they did was, you know, cracked a few beers, cooked some steak and eggs over the pit, oh. uh, drank some beers, just enjoyed their time in the sun. It sounds delightful. Yep. Danny Chow, as always, thank you for taking us on this wonderful tour to Charleston. Let's not tell the people where you may be headed next. I like keeping a little surprise. We didn't tell them the first time that you were, you know, when we talked about the Nashville hot chicken, that you were headed down to Charleston. Let's keep everybody waiting in suspense. But you're going to be back on very soon again. Another new, fantastic ringer eating experience. Thank you for joining us on House of Paul. 
All right, podcast pals, we have done it. Thank you, as always, for the great belly sourcing. Keep it coming. We're looking for it on the social media, at House from DC. You can also send us an email, houseofcarbsfans at gmail.com. Please keep all the great input coming. We are putting it into the pipeline. One last shout out to the folks uh, affected by Hurricane Harvey. Get over to redcross.org and make your donation. Help the people affected by Hurricane Harvey donate now. That's it. Let's stay hungry out there, my friends. <laughs>